0: Very good to see everyone out this evening. I see a, a lot of faces of a lot of loved ones and friends and family that I haven't seen in a while, and uh, thank you for being here. It's a blessing to see you to worship with you. Uh, if you feel like you're a visitor here, thank you for coming. You are most welcome to be here anytime, anytime that you would like to worship with us. Um, you know. I was sitting there thinking this morning, listening to all these young folks that we have, how talented they are with the singing, and how much work they put in so far this week, not only with that, but with service to others. Uh, It's just, it's very impressive, and I, I thank you young folks for that. also thank all you parents for your guidance and support and oversight of this meeting. You know, I, for many years, I thought the pinnacle of life would be to play in a national football championship or maybe to go to a Super Bowl. i tell you, that was foolish. Because I realized that we get to get, have a Super Bowl every time we meet. Every time we gather together to worship the Lord. How blessed are we? Truly blessed. Those gifts I was talking about earlier, the Scripture tells us that all those gifts come from God. And many of your gifts have been on display this week so far. And I'm just curious... How you will spend those gifts as you grow older. Will you spend those gifts the way the Lord wants you to? Serving Him, or will you spend them some other way? I want to let you know these slides right here, I didn't have time to change them to the New King James. So the scriptures we are going to show up here are going to be out of the King James, just for your reference. It was a last-minute audible. You know, I used to travel with the guy that gave reports on the work in Nigeria on a regular basis. And I'd sit there like a fly on the wall and listen to this, these reports. And at the end of these reports, oftentimes the people of the congregation were given time to ask questions about the work, and one of the most common questions that I heard asked was, how much money is it going to take to change that place, talking about Nigeria? And the answer was always, there's not enough money. We could send every bit of money we got over there and it would be swallowed up in corruption, and fraud, and it wouldn't reach the people, all of it wouldn't reach the people it's meant to get to. And that answer was continued by saying that the only thing that's going to change those places is the Word of God. That's the only thing. And that remains true for America. The things we've studied about this week, how we're under attack, how our families are under attack, how our kids and our grandkids are under attack. That's the only thing that's going to change America, folks. It's the Word of God. And what's more, it's the only thing that's going to change me and you on a daily basis. Are we getting better or are we getting worse? We're going to talk about pride. Now, pride that we're talking about is not in the way that most of us use it this day, today, in this time. You know, because when a grandmother or a parent, when we tell our kids, we're proud of you for doing a good deed, for making good grades, whatever the case may be, we're actually saying, we're happy for you. You give us joy for doing good. And I'm going to tell you what, that's not the biblical definition of pride. The biblical definition of pride is a puffed-up haughtiness. And at its very root, at its very root, what pride says is, I know better than God knows what to do with my talents. In other words, when we say that, what we're saying is, is, I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do with what you've given me. Now, pride, we've all seen this. Pride makes people to where they're unteachable. They can't learn. They don't respect things that they should honor. Pride will destroy evangelists. Pride will destroy elders. Pride will destroy, destroy marriages and families. It's death on a stick. There in Proverbs 16 and 18, the Scripture reads, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's what the Word of God says. And it's bared out every single day. We see it. It's true. Just like everything else in the Scriptures. So, we're going to be spending most of our time in Luke. Luke. Chapter 15. And most of you know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son or the wasteful son. And uh, I got to tell you, this series of passages here of our our Lord and Savior teaching is so, so dear to me. And the brother that shared it with me I don't have words. Our Lord speaks there in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. The interesting thing about this, in the Israel at this time, the elder son received two-thirds of the father's wealth upon the father's death. And the younger son received one-third. But I want you to notice what this young man's saying here. I'm not waiting for you to die. I want what's mine now. If that's not the ultimate statement of pride, I don't know what he is. We go on and read there in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, my first question is, is why did this young man go to a far country to do these things? This riotous living, which later on we will find out what part of that was. Sexual immorality. He was dealing with harlots. I can picture him. He's the life of the party. He's the man. He's buying all the drinks. All the food. Why did he go to a far country? Do you suppose... That he didn't want, he didn't want his daddy to see what he was going to do. That he didn't want his family to see what he was going to do. There in verse fourteen, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. Now, the first question I have about this is, where are his new friends at from this far country that he's financed this party for? Where are they at? Nowhere to be found. Have you you experienced that in your life? When you've gone awry, and you're hurting, and you're in a bad spot, and your new friends of the world are nowhere to be found? Because I've experienced that many times. But you know who was there? The church. The family of God. That's who was there. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. The filthiest thing To an Israelite is a pig, a hog. This young man is in the pen with the pigs. Not only that, but he wants to eat with them. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. the filthiest thing in the world, and he wants to eat it. Folks, that's rock bottom. That's rock bottom. And I know there's some of you who've been to rock bottom. Because sadly, there's some of us that are just hardheads. We are hard-headed. We are rebellious. You young folks, I know, I recognize your faces from many places, a lot of you. You, your family, your parents, they send you to these meetings during the summer. And you get to Be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. And sharpen yourself. Sharpen your spirit. What a blessing. You know, I did the same thing when I was your age. I enjoyed that. My best friends were kids that were members of the church. But you know, when I got to be about 16 or 17, I decided to co- stop coming to these things. And I replaced my Christian friends with friends from the world. And instead of coming to these meetings, learning and growing and worshiping God, I went to football camps. Because I thought, man, that's such a great thing to be invited to this university and that university to go to football camps. I'm going to tell you, the talent to play sports is given by God. But it should be used properly. I got a scholarship to play football in college. I went and had a great time. My talents grew And they grew, and they grew. And the end of my junior year, I got to try out for several NFL scouts that came through. And I was told that I was going to get that chance. And you know what? About that time, I lost sight of who gave me those gifts. God! And I started believing it was because of me. And you know what? I started hanging around the in crowd in college. You know what the in crowd did? The in crowd partied. Drank and partied. Riotous living. Yeah. Because of those bad decisions... Because of those bad decisions, my earthly dream vanished like that. Like that. And I'm going to tell you what, that didn't wake me up either. I kept making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I remember one Thanksgiving. One Thanksgiving. My grandfather had had a stroke shortly before that time. And I had a trainer. I take my arm from wrist to elbow, and in a, in a black marker, I put red Dukes. That's my grandpa's name. I put red Dukes on there. I intercepted a football. Y'all don't know what newspapers are, but <laughs> some of us do. We're old enough, but... They caught me, and my picture was on the front page of the paper. You know what it showed? It showed red Dukes. I cut it out, blew it up, took it home to my grandpa. You know what he said? He said, man, that is fine. I appreciate that. He said, but you ain't been doing right. You ain't been doing right. And you need to get right with the Lord. Now, how he knew that, I have no idea, because he lived 400 miles away. But he knew Came back that Christmas, we always had huge Christmases, 100 people, you know. Stacked the kids like cordwood in the basement. Came home for Christmas, you know what my grandpa said? Did you get that right with God? Did you get straightened out with God? I looked him straight in the eyes and I lied to him. I lied to him. That's what pride does to us. Yeah. You know, I continued just to make bad decisions and bad decisions. Terrible decisions, not bad, terrible. And I finally ran into a cop. And I strong-armed him and took his pistol from him. They sentenced me to 25 years in prison for that. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Should have been more. I got down there. You think that would wake some, somebody up, right? didn't wake me up. I went down there and I saw the people down there, the ones that lived the best at those supermax prisons, were the ones willing to do anything at the drop of a hat, so that's what I proceeded to do. For eight years... Until I finally ran into a warden out in Texarkana that told me, You're not going to hurt any more of my inmates anymore. I'm going to put you in a place where you can't talk to nobody, you can't touch nobody, you will be alone. And he did that. He put me in that hole in darkness. About lost my mind back there. Listening to the people scream and cutting on themselves and killing themselves and Got a letter from my grandma that I was talking about last night, little Anna Dukes. She wrote like clockwork. A letter informing me that my grandpa Red Dukes had died. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what it took to humble me. Because I finally realized that I had not only hurt myself, which I didn't care about, But I'd hurt everybody that loved me. Everybody that loved me. And sacrificed for me. I hurt them all terribly. And I'm going to tell you, that guilt and that shame was overwhelming. And I remembered my father had taken out a life insurance policy on me when I went to prison. And it was worth about $110,000 at that time. And I thought... I'm leaving. I'm leaving this world. At least, at least my boys will be able to go to college. And as I prepared to do that terrible deed, do you know what entered my mind? We were talking about planting seeds the other day, right? Somebody had planted a seed in my mind. You know what that seed was? That seed was the Word of God. And I reached over there for that book, and I read this passage, and it meant more to me by light years than it ever had before. I finally understood what it was saying. There in verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Do you hear what this young man's saying here? He remembered the goodness of his father's home, he remembered the love and the care and the kindness, the protection. He remembered that. Why did he remember it? Because no more pride was left in him. He was humbled. There in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now I want you to really latch on to that last part. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me as a hired servant. I'm not worth being first class. I'm not worthy to be called your son. <clears throat> you know, that's a terrible feeling to feel unworthy, worthless. Unredeemable because you've been so bad. That's a terrible, terrible spot to be in. Terrible spot. You know that scripture that my brother had planted in my mind years before? It took eight years to sprout. And when it did, boy, it had some roots. You know, I made up my mind that I was going to do everything I could to serve the Lord. I was just going to try the best I could. I was going to die. If I had to die, I was going to die for the right reasons. Not for money, pleasure, a gang, power, none of that. I asked God to forgive me that night and to save me from myself because I was my own worst enemy. And I'm going to tell you something, I slept like a baby on that concrete floor, like I hadn't slept in years. And I kept sleeping on that concrete floor. It was like a a, a feather pillow bed because the Lord had forgiven me and I had hope. They finally let me out of that hole. Almost three years later. But I'm going to tell you what, that time was easy. Because I had the Word of God. And I had brothers and sisters in Christ riding me and communicating with me, sharing their love and care and kindness. They let me out of that hole, and I made up my mind. What I missed the most, what I missed the most was this, right here. And the Lord's Supper... The Lord's Supper. We didn't have none of that in there. Now I made up my mind that the first time I could go back to church I was going to sit on the back pew and you guys please don't misunderstand me because I like sitting back there too. But I was going to sit on that back pew and I was going to leave everybody alone. If they would just let me be there. I didn't want to embarrass nobody, cause anybody shame. The very first time I got to go to a service was in Mesquite, Texas. My cousin came and picked me up, and Jay's son. I guess he's my cousin now too, ain't he? <laughs> they come and picked me up because I couldn't drive. I didn't have no driver's license. I'd been gone for almost 17 years. Walked in that door, and you, you know how you guys line up, you guys and you gals line up and greet people. It's a wonderful thing. They was doing that t- there too. And I'm trying to get through the hands as quick as I can because I don't like touching. I, at that time, I, <laughs> boy, I had problems with people being close to me, you know. So I'm making my way through those hands, and here's this big fella at the end of the line. In a suit jacket, about my size, a little bit taller. And I stuck out my hand to try to get by him, shake his hand, move on. He brushed my hand aside. And he embraced me in a hug. I didn't know this man from Adam. He embraced me in a hug. And I'm telling you, I backed off, man. I mean, I backed off. I went and sat down with my cousin and I said, I said, Andre, Andre you... Who is that guy? He just hugged me. <laughs> she said, well, that fellow's named Sean Hanley. He's one of our deacons. And I said, well, no, but what is he? What, what, what's the deal? He said, well, he's, he's one of the lead homicide detectives in Dallas County. And I said, oh, boy. <laughs> I got to go get straight with this fella." So as soon as we were dismissed, I, went, I ran back there and I said, Mr. Hanley, uh, I don't know if you know about me, but I want you, I want to be totally up front with you uh, why I'm here. And he said, I know everything about you. He said, I know everything about you. He said, you're my brother. That's what he said. That is the power of the word of God. That's the church right there. What a beautiful man. Now I want you to remember. I want you to remember what this young man said about not being worthy to be called a son again. James 4 and 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Because humility is what's allowed in the presence of God. Not pride. Humility. And this young man has been humbled. He's had the pride knocked out of him. There in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Do you suppose that father was waiting for him? You better believe it. You better believe it. Just like he's waiting for every one of us that ain't right. He's waiting for us. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Remember what he was going to say, make me as a hired servant? His father didn't even let him finish what he was going to say. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry folks God does not create second class Christians it's not in his he don't do that God only creates first-class Christians. He doesn't make sons into servants or daughters into servants. They are family members. They're His children. I want to talk just for a few seconds about the lessons that I've learned from this experience. First and foremost, there is nothing better than forgiveness. Nothing. Colossians 1 and 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son? in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The Father stands there waiting to forgive us. We've got to humble ourselves, though. Own it, or it will own you. You know, I, I teach some of these classes now, and I've, I've taught them off and on over the years. And when I first started going to these things and trying to get certified, I noticed that these professional people were telling these people, including myself, that the reasons that we did the things we did that were wrong and terrible was not because of ourselves. It was because of our parents, the environment we grew up in, whatever. That was a lie. That was a lie. And I'm going to tell you what that does. It eliminates a person's power to own what he's done, he or she has done. Own it. I did that. And then give it to God. Own it, or it will own you. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A new heart. So, for several months after, they, after I was uh, sent out here to the free world, uh, I couldn't sleep on a bed because it's too soft. I sleep on the floor. And uh, every night there for the first few months, I would wake up in terror. 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 because I didn't know where I was at. In the darkness, sweating, tears pouring, I was a broken individual. Even though I'd I'd been forgiven, I I still had a lot of repair to be done. But I'm going to tell you something. Staying in the Word and trying to do what God told me to do, You know how long it's been since I've had a night like that? Years. Years. God will heal us. He will heal us. He will heal our minds and our hearts. Ezekiel 36 and 26. A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. He will heal us. He will make us whole. You know, got a fella back home that uh, he was out of the church for I don't even know how long 20, 25 years, I don't know. We got to studying with him, and he loved to study the Bible. Now, I remember the last time I got to study with him, uh, we were at a six-man football game in Groom, Texas. And we didn't watch a down on that football game. He just wanted to talk about God. And uh, that game wrapped up, and he told me, he said, uh, I, I really love talking about this stuff, but it makes me real sad. He said, uh, God can't forgive me for everything I've done. I've been too bad. And I told him, I said, you're wrong. So what you're telling me is your sins are greater than the Apostle Paul's. Your sins are greater than the power of God to forgive. He said, it doesn't matter. Because I can't come back To that church building. I'm going to walk in there and everybody in there is going to be looking upside my head crazy. Wondering what in the world is this dude doing here? He don't belong here. And I told him, brother, you are wrong, wrong, wrong. But you're going to have to come see I felt real bad leaving that study. I thought there's he's not gonna let it's it's over. That Sunday sitting right there where you are, Greg. Me and my wife, David Zebot, Becky, we was on that road. They offered the invitation. I felt the breeze on my left shoulder. It was that man. He came up in tears and repented. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. Nobody was looking upside his head. You see, the church embraced him, they loved him. We went back a year and a half later, something like that. On a Wednesday night, we'd moved to Oklahoma by then. You know why we went back to Wheeler? Because that man was preaching. He was preaching the Word of God. Do you know what was more amazing? I mean, one of the most amazing things to me. I got up to lead a song before he got up to preach. And I looked out there, and guess who was in the audience? his wife, his mother-in-law, his daughter, his grandkid, who never went to church. That's the power of the Word of God, folks. That is the power to change. Isaiah 55 and 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to his God, for he will abundantly pardon. There is nothing that you have done as you sit here tonight. If you think that you're worthless, if you think that you're no good, if you think that your life ain't worth living, that is a lie. God is immensely capable to forgive you of everything you've done and restore you and make you the woman or the man that He intended you to be to affect your family, your friends, your loved ones, and strangers that see Christ living in you. The Lord will change us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what the Word of God does. Right there. Now, I want to tell you something. This study we've done tonight is not about Jim Hayes. And it's not about Clyde, that man I was telling you about. It's about the power of the Word of God. And it's about how that Word of God can change the filthiest, vilest person into a soldier of the cross. That's what He does to us when we give ourselves to Him. One last short story, December 3rd and 4th, 2014, two days I'll never forget, I sat there, they told me I was going home, and uh, man, I was happy, (laughs) but uh, at that time in Texas, there was only one unit that you could be released from if you were a violent criminal. I think now you can get released anywhere, but I sat there for two days and I watched these men walk out this old prison gate from my from my cell there. And uh they released around a hundred a day of these violent criminals, and they you know they've all been down there fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty years. And uh they had uh two trash cans lined up out there by the gates. Uh, 55 gallon of, uh, oil barrels with top, tops cut off of them. And uh, I sat there and watched these guys walking by and going out there to meet their families. At the end of that second day they let me go and uh, I was one of the last if not the last one out that second day they had to put a, a a satellite tracker on me because i my crime was against the law enforcement man as I walked up on those trash cans i couldn't believe what I saw. These trash cans were overflowing onto the ground and Most of the stuff that was overflowing on the ground was Bibles, was the Word of God, scattered across the ground. And I thought to myself, the one thing, the one thing that would change you, the one thing that would save you, and you're throwing it away like so much trash Brothers and sisters, that word of God is a rope. It is a rope to pull us up when we've fallen. It's an anchor to keep us steady in the storms of life. It is priceless. Priceless. Please get out your song books. Got a couple questions for you as we close. Uh, this word of God, what have you done with it? What are you, what are you doing with it? If you're spreading the word, you're going to spread the word and when you leave this building. You're ambassadors of Christ, and I say Godspeed to you. If you're here tonight, and you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, know, know that you're not worthless. Your life is worth living. God loves you. And he does not want to see you perish. He stands waiting for you to come back to him. And that invitation that we're about to give, he stands waiting for you to come home. So come home as we stand and sing.